Welcome back to General Snobbery, and thank you for joining us. Today we discuss the movie The Martian, a comedy about Matt Damon. Brought to you by Talwar and Sons. There's a feeling my life's been shaken out of control. It's arising from the depths of meaning I never know. There's a feeling that shines in the front of my mind. I'm gonna speak it out at the fireside. And in the morning, we'll all be snapping the whole way home. All right, welcome back to another episode of General Snobbery. We appreciate that you have come back to us to listen to more of our snobs. This is our second official episode, not counting a prologue, which is still kind of an episode. And on this episode, we will be discussing Ridley Scott's 2015 film, The Martian, starring one Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Exactly. Starring almost, in fact, exclusively Matt Damon. Um, although a whole host of... Uh, side characters and supporting characters who really um man really sort of blow off the screen they um in their own unique way i guess yeah it's it's really quite a cast um it includes jeff daniels who is really mean <laughs> yeah really mean really stern um doesn't yeah. crack a smile i he's the director of nasa that's right he's the director of nasa we also have Vincent Kapoor. That's a character name. I don't know the actor's name. Yeah, but... neither do I. Yeah, I know the guy you're talking about, uh, African-American man with glasses who, what's his role? He is somehow in charge of the Mars missions, but my as I watched the movie, all I could think is, this guy is very young to be in charge of something so, um, so complicated. Yeah, like how did he <laughs> rise the ranks that quickly? Yeah, that's a good question. And then we have um, Sean Bean. Actually. Sean Bean. Yeah, which is maybe my favorite part of the movie, just the fact that Sean Bean is in it. <laughs> yeah, Sean Bean, um, many of you might know him best as Boromir from Lord, uh, The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and apparently he is, uh, I think, Ned Stark in Game of Thrones, which I don't actually watch, but um, about 10,000 people have told me that I actually need to watch it. So yeah, this is a matter of your... <laughs> This is a matter of your physiological health. Uh, right, you you right. need to watch this show. <laughs> yeah, like there's a there's a deep amount of concern even sometimes in the people who instruct me to watch Game of Thrones. Like, like this is really important that you do this. Yeah, you're right. When I I do watch Game of Thrones, and Sean, you need to watch Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> ah! <laughs> but I feel like I I'm one of the more recent. I've only been watching it about a year. And I feel like when you tell people that you don't watch Game of Thrones, they almost like make you a bowl of Campbell's chicken noodle soup and wrap you in a blanket. They, they almost treat you like you just said, I have the flu. And they're like, oh, come here, come here. And they sort of coddle you and care for you and then like <laughs> then start explaining the plot to you. And it's like, OK, thank you. <laughs> right, right. So so, yeah, lots of side characters on. Um, and maybe, Matt, to get us going, you might offer a, a brief synopsis or summary of The Martian. Sure, that sounds good. The Martian is the orangest movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, pretty much, I'd say 80% of the scenes are just cast in this just dazzlingly uh, bright orange 
that after about five minutes gets very old. And it's a it's essentially a typical story of human triumph over nature. In this case, it's inhospitable nature, the planet of Mars. Matt Damon's character is Mark Watney. He's um, a botanist. He's the most optimistic human on Earth and on Mars. He is... In the universe. Yeah, yeah, in the universe. He is attractive. He's arrogant, but in a humble way. I'm not even going to try and explain that. He can grow potatoes out of... (laughs) He... Um, he knows everything, and eventually a whole team of probably the most attractive people on Earth and in the universe <laughs> go through this process of bringing him home. And um, and so he's stuck on Mars, accomplishes some things, becomes a space pirate. That's actually from the movie. I didn't just make that up. And And then he's rescued. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not a spoiler because anyone who sees the trailer for this movie knows that he is going to be rescued. That is so exactly right. It's part of it's might as well be part of the synopsis. Yeah, they could have just named it The Martian Returns to Earth or something and it would have been just as good. There's actually a lot of titles that this movie could have had that I think would be better than The Martian. I mean, I understand that it came from a novel called The Martian by Andy Weir, I think. Um, okay. that got optioned for a film by 20th, 20th Century Fox. Um, but possible titles could be uh, Matt Damon in space, Matt, um, Damon. Matt Damon gardens in space, Matt Damon, uh, <laughs> um, very happy man stranded on Mars, Matt Damon, uh, guy cannot face reality of situation. Matt Damon. Wow, all of those, all of those would have been perfect, and it's uh, yeah, because that's essentially. That's essentially what happened. At least those titles describe the movie a little bit. Yeah, and you know, I just had an idea that um, there is a scene in this movie that occurs about two-thirds of the way through where top-level executives at NASA, amidst all this chaos happening, have about a two-minute conversation about Lord of the Rings because one guy says, all right, let's summon the Council of Elrond. And then, of course, that token person's like, what does that mean? Yeah, it's... Uh... In this case, it's Kristen Wiig who plays sort of the communications director for NASA. So she's kind of snippy and attractive, and and she doesn't she doesn't get this reference to the Council of Elrond. And she also does not communicate very well. Like the first time she comes on the screen, the first line she says is "Are you <laughs> me?" or something like that. So it's yeah. I don't know if she's that great at her job. No, yeah, you're right. Her communication skills are not good. She's incredibly sarcastic and doesn't really know what's going on around her. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's just like Matt Damon. It's all too obvious that it's Kristen Wiig. Um, we can get to that in a minute, but real quick. So we also need to talk more about the Lord of the Rings reference scene. But I was thinking this movie could be also called... Uh, there and back again, Matt Damon's tale. Instead of, you know, I think Bilbo Baggins' book is There and Back Again, right. A Hobbit's Tale. Yes, it is. Just just in case someone needed that to be explained. You're right, man. And even in the course of the movie, Matt Damon himself, in his many, many, many monologues to the NASA computer <laughs> cameras on the space station, gives alternate titles for the movie, such as Mark Watney, Space Pirate. It could have been called that. Um, blonde beard. <laughs> blonde beard. Oh my gosh! It just made me gave me a slight visceral reaction. Um, let's see what else. Botany boy. I think the tale 
the tales and trials of botany boy would have been that would have been like a children's <laughs> book i wouldn't have mind uh, to have read yeah I, I would enjoy like the trials of being in the title of this movie but i don't know if there are actual trials in this movie it's just like things that matt damon is able to solve easily <laughs> a trial usually has some kind of struggle and in terms of struggle let's see there's one scene where matt damon is trying to make water and he accidentally blows up and you know naturally he makes a joke right after it when he's like yep just blew myself up exactly i was gonna say <laughs> he used the exact word i blew myself up right right like so it's funny for some reason that this guy almost exploded himself um it's not really a trial he doesn't have to like repair himself he's completely fine and then he successfully makes water yeah about eight seconds later and as he as he makes that joke about having just blown himself up his clothes are still smoking from having blown himself up like the way I they think, do in looney tunes yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's almost like he swallowed a thing of dynamite and his stomach expanded and then he burped a little smoke or something but like i think if i blew myself up on mars i'd take about five minutes compose myself then i'd go to my camera but he this guy's just he's just a machine i guess and <laughs> yeah from from the get-go we realized that matt damon has a huge pain threshold and i think the only reason we're able to buy him as this character is because he's played jason Bourne like three times and contemporary american society has come to accept him as a badass yeah um, you're right he literally has like a stake driven into like his kidneys or something like basically like his navel region off to the side is just jammed in there and you know he wakes up and his crew's left him and he goes inside and he's barely able to breathe and he has to rip his spacesuit off exposing his jacked body and then <laughs> he just you know takes a couple quick breaths and then just yanks it out and then he's like ah! and then he's he actually he digs a uh, like basically pliers into the wound and pulls out like some shrapnel that is left in his body and he just does that within about 10 seconds. Yeah, in <laughs> typical action movie fashion, um, an injured person becomes a surgeon just just by by right. by the circumstances. Yeah, I need to get this yeah. this this thing out of my body which by the way, I'd say probably most of the time metal stakes go through someone's body they do puncture some kind of vital organ but luckily not <laughs> they now never, <laughs> they never really address the fact that somehow it missed all of the organs in that region yeah and then even later in the movie that that's never even brought up again once he staples his body shut with some fancy staples he has on board later he rips a staple and he sort of puts like two fingers to his suit and then talks to the camera and's like a staple a staple ripped and we're like holy <laughs> cow that guy is still just strong as ever yeah and for some reason this is making me think of that scene in no country for old men that great coen brothers movie where javier bardem plays anton chigger like the bad guy he's this horrible man notorious villain and he gets like really brutally i think shot at some point and like performs yeah, he a surgery like a on his shotgun own body. yeah, yeah. By a shotgun yeah. and like even him in that movie he's like sh expressing pain and it's amazing that scene because he seems completely inhuman throughout this whole movie. And then all of a sudden, like, he's like, I don't know, trying to do the surgery on himself and experiencing pain. And like, it's like, is this guy actually human? Does he feel real pain? Or like, 
what the heck's going on? And I'm, you know, I wonder that about Matt Damon too in The Martian. It's like, is this guy really human or is he actually a cyborg in 2035 when they've sent this mission out who cannot be possibly like brought down? <laughs> it it makes sense in the Ridley Scott world because if you've seen, uh, Bla- wow, I'm drawing Blade Runner. <laughs> no, oh, well, yes, uh, but but what was the more recent Aliens movie he did? Oh, oh, uh, Prometheus. Prometheus. Yeah. What an arrogant title, by the way. Um, <laughs> Michael Fassbender as a cyborg. Michael Fassbender as a cyborg, and. Also in have you seen Prometheus? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. In in Prometheus, there is another scene where one of the crew members, um, played by Swedish actress Numi Rapace, I think that's how you say her name. Um, well done. From the from the thank you from the Swedish version. Oh, or versions girl with the of, dragon tattoo. Exactly. Yeah, she's great. She is, and so in Prometheus, something happens to her, and. I believe she's impregnated by an alien and quickly over the course of one minute is able to sort of hijack the surgical equipment and get it out of her. And the scene when Matt Damon takes the stake, uh, the stake out of his body reminded me so much. It's in a space, uh, you know, center. It's very sterile looking and someone who is not an expert in medicine all of a sudden becomes a surgeon. And I remember watching the Martian and thinking, this is exactly like Prometheus. It's just a different character. Yeah, and it's not mythology. It's supposed to be like a real person. And yet it feels just like some kind of myth, but it's also trying to convince us like, hey, this is NASA. This is how it really works. It's it's not like, you know, there's these god figures in the sky that, you know, I I can't remember all the mythology of Prometheus, but I remember really liking it um, because it knew it was mythology. But for some reason, The Martian is trying to market itself as realism. Yes, it is. Definitely not. <laughs> no, every everything about it is just building up this persona of Matt Damon. Even the whole movie has this momentum of just Matt Damon can do it. Matt Damon can do it. And then later we see him. I just uh, the ending sequence when they show Matt Damon sort of as the instructor. At, yeah. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Like. There's this touching moment where he sort of sees a small little plant on the ground and he touches it and supposed to remind you of when he grew the potatoes and (laughs) And, like the movie that you just watched. Exactly. Like, hey, remember that movie that you're still watching? (laughs) And he it's just this like the whole these like NASA trainees like stop their jog just to like stare at Matt Damon. And it's like he's (laughs) become this. Yeah, they call him sir. And he's become a god. And the ending just has this stupid little quip where he's like, I did grow potatoes out of human. I don't think you have to tell that to anyone. You are the most famous human on Earth. Like, it's just it's a very ridiculous little little scene. Yeah, because then he basically talks for another 35 to 45 seconds and it's basically saying like it's gonna be tough but when it gets tough you're gonna want to quit but you can't quit basically like hey in case you didn't realize this is the moral of this story and then you know he's like (laughs) any question and every hand goes up and the movie ends oh my and and they probably and they start playing some rock and roll song i think yeah i think so um i i did want to address real quickly like i can imagine that if we actually have any listeners that a listener a theoretical listener would have taken um, kind of offense to when I said that this movie is not realism because I Googled and there's a lot of articles 
that were probably paid for by 20th Century Fox that are saying like, this movie is really realistic. And, you know, they worked like one-on-one with uh, a real top level position guy at NASA. And even that guy has said, not everything is accurate in this movie. It's pretty good. Not everything is accurate. And one thing that is, you know, undoubtedly 100% not even possible is the storm on Mars, which is the Hmm. setup for the full movie. Apparently, according to NASA, like pretty much everyone top level at NASA, even Andy Weir, the novelist, (laughs) realized that apparently the uh, atmospheric pressure or something is so minute on Mars compared to Earth that 120 kilometer winds wouldn't actually have an effect. It would basically feel like I don't know, someone's like blowing one of those old little handheld fans into your face <laughs> that people would have at like six flags to cool themselves on a hot summer day. Maybe yeah. a, a little more than that, but not to the point where they can barely walk and like it's a real threatening storm that they have to get out of there for. And I was amazed because all the producers and the author they would always end these articles and be like, well, I guess we can forgive them for one stretch of the truth. Like, <laughs> that's that's a big one. That is the entire setup of the movie. Like, if that didn't happen, this movie wouldn't exist. Like, couldn't you think of something realistic that would make this man stranded? But basically their logic was like, yeah, we needed a storm. Of course. <laughs> wow, that you, you just snobbed them. You... Yeah, that was that was definitely a, a big time snob. Uh, you mentioned the little tiny fans which reminded me of in ace ventura if you remember ace when he's sneaking in to save dan marino he uses one of those fans to propel his tiny boat (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing i actually thought you were going to be talking about the scene when from ace ventura when nature calls when he's stuck in basically a mechanical rhino i think of course yeah and he his fan his little fan in there breaks (laughs) so he becomes so hot that he has to strip naked and basically pops out of the rhino's netherworld (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that's uh actually in many ways that almost mirrors um the martian because he matt damon also has to sort of be stranded inside uh a capsule of sorts and make his way out but even more so uh, um even less of a stretch i think is simply making the connection from ace ventura played by jim carrey to dumb and dumber starring jim carrey and jeff daniels and i'd like to talk about jeff daniels for a second absolutely absolutely. (laughs) that was a really stupid uh bridge but no um, it was it was great i really enjoyed it thank you i hope our (laughs) one listener did too yeah Um, (laughs) So, let's not get ambitious here. <laughs> I'm going to make my mom listen to this. <laughs> uh, so, as you mentioned, Sean, Jeff Daniels is... I, they try and make him like this weird sort of dislikable but ultra-rational kind of character. And I have nothing I, I have nothing, you know, negative to say about Jeff Daniels' looks, but he's probably the least attractive character in this movie <laughs> every other character easily could could be a model from including sean bean whose face is pretty much scarred yeah you're right yes um but in the meme world he is the face to compete with uh, he has several several memes and so all this stuff happening on earth during this whole mark watney ordeal which we've hardly even gone into just is one sort of triumphant little exercise after another, whether it's all of a sudden forming impeccable relations with the Chinese space program. Yeah. Um, 
or like a really a montage at one point they do um david bowie's star man oh we have to talk about that i'm not quite ready <laughs> yeah. but i know i don't think i am either <laughs> that was <laughs> the it... moment that i lost all respect for that movie <laughs> uh i think so there's also this character she doesn't have a name but we see her sort of rise the ranks and she's this satellite operator who also is very attractive oh yeah and, yeah and you know she at one point, Jeff Daniels gives her full authority to man the satellites or something. And anyway, Vincent Kapoor, the sparse, the, the Mars space mission guy, at one point wants to figure out where Mark Watney's going because they're watching Mark Watney from these satellites and they see that, sorry, Matt Damon. They're watching Matt Damon from these satellites and they see that he's sort of going in this weird direction with his Mars rover. And Vincent Kapoor, who is the director of this mission... Um, or this, the Mars colony, or whatever the hell it is, it's not explained, but it's also negligible, because most of the characters are just there so that it's less monologue. Um, and at one point, he wants to figure out where he's going, so they go to the cafeteria. They have the best computers on Earth. They can access any map they want. They can look at live images of Mars, and yet stupid Vincent Kapoor, for some reason, goes to the dining room of the NASA <laughs> Center grabs a picture of mars off the wall which i think you would have to be the map expert on mars to be able to pick the right one and he's like says to the satellite girl show me where he is and where where he was and where he is and then they do this stupid thing where they draw a line and vincent kapoor's like i know where he's going i need to get on an airplane and it's just for me it's a classic example from this stupid movie where in order to explain something to the audience, they, they totally dumb something down. Yeah, and um, you say, in order to explain something to the audience, what I realized watching this movie a second time was that the whole movie is just explaining things to the audience. Like, that is The Martian. Um, basically, it's exposition scene after exposition scene delivered through a variety of characters to make us feel that, like, oh, these are relationships, these are real people. It's like, no, they're just, like... <laughs> trying to justify that this could actually happen and that this is happening. And it gets, it's to the point that an hour and 15 minutes into the movie to get more and new exposition in there, they have to bring in a whole new character. This like quirky <laughs> astrophysicist comes out of nowhere and has this solution to the problem. Cause are you talking, go ahead. Cause no one else knows how to solve it. And then of course that's the solution they end up using his form of exposition. Are you talking about the, the totally totally quirky guy who like spits spits coffee in his trash can yes the guy who like wakes up and yes. he's like i need coffee and the guy who has no concern for authority like jeff daniels is like i'm the director of nasa and he's like cool and then just like continues explaining how they can literally slingshot um the hermes around earth to give them momentum to go back to mars to get matt damon and then <laughs> that whole segment takes place in about 15 minutes of the movie <laughs> like once they establish they're gonna do that it's this huge jump forward all of a sudden matt damon is really skinny which by the way matt damon did not in fact lose weight for this movie it was cgi to make him look that thin yeah just to remind everyone christian bale did do something like that but matt damon did not right but matt damon was nominated for an academy award because he got to like chill on a really expensive set and like act happy 
for like a couple months. Not to mention eat. Every single scene he's in, he's eating something, whether it's a – he at one point he eats a potato that he just took out of this microwave. If you've ever had a, a, an actual hot potato, it's really, really hot. And yeah, it, was, it, it even steams. It's steaming, and he's talking yeah. and dipping it in ketchup, and I'm like, listen, dude, eat – and then talk to the camera. You're eating like these weird espresso beans in one scene and a potato in another. And you're just always eating and talking. I don't know why that's like that's like portrayed as like, oh, that's realistic. People don't sometimes yeah. take the time to wait. Right. And he only has like they have basically potatoes in this hidden stash of potatoes. Like that's supposed to be waiting for Thanksgiving, according to a note, like on the potato bag. It's like, don't open till Thanksgiving. And there's probably like. 15 to 20 potatoes in there and you know presumably he uses them as the roots for more potato plants but he has so much ketchup like <laughs> he has ketchup for over an hour of that movie and then like when he runs out he even mentions like out of ketchup like if they only had that many potatoes for like one or maybe two thanksgiving feasts i can't imagine that they would have enough ketchup to sustain matt damon's potato eating habit for like <laughs> months if not years <laughs> yeah why did they have so much ketchup on that stupid... yeah because he's using ketchup every time he's eating potatoes he is you're right until he's out and then he uses crushed up vicodin <laughs> he uses crushed up vicodin and we're supposed to be like hey this guy he doesn't <laughs> he live parties. by the rules <laughs> yeah he's a bit of a lone wolf here right we're also supposed to think like oh he's in pain now yeah let's feel bad for him and like him and respect him yeah. uh, now a good twist for the movie would be if he was actually a vicodin addict all along and that's why he was so happy and optimistic and then he had to go through some internal demons when he runs out of vicodin but of course exactly. they wouldn't do that no yeah huh. so to think real quick back to the quirky scientist who comes up with the solution that scene i think is totally ridiculous because that guy's way too quirky, number one. Number two, in that scene, he's talking to astrophysicists, and even if they're not astrophysicists, they're directors of NASA, they understand the idea of using one planetary body's gravity to propel something. <laughs> All he had to say, by, and also they stole the idea from Apollo 13, which, if you remember, <laughs> they, they did a similar solution. Oh, around Apollo, the moon, right? Yeah, around the moon. Good point. And, uh, Apollo 13 did it much better with Ed Harris at the helm. Right, and but, like emotion. Exactly. Instead, this scene's about two minutes long and requires the quirky astrophysicist um, to take a stapler and take someone's pen and walk and make people move <laughs> in a just a way that he has no, no recognition or boundary considering spatial orientation or anything like that. All he had to say was, I have an idea. And they would have been like, yeah. And he would have said, let's just Apollo 13 this thing. <laughs> And they would have been like, okay, good. Flash forward. Soul 431. Right. And I like how this movie's like, it explains everything, but it never takes two seconds to explain what a soul is. No, it's it just doesn't. like expects us to look that up. And I looked it up and it's like, you know, a, a day on Mars, which is like 24 hours and 39 minutes or something. Okay. It's like one soul. Yeah. So. They, I know that's just a typical kind of a i feel like you get that sometimes in movies where they they're like listen we don't want to insult the audience we want the audience to know that we have respect for them so let's not even explain that right but we'll explain we'll explain other things because we don't respect the audience and we don't know how to write a movie 
<laughs> right. We have no idea what a character is. We only understand like that we're trying to sell something. That we're trying to sell that Matt Damon is a hero and that <laughs> this could happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, oh man we we talked in our most recent episode which was about jurassic world uh directed by colin trevoraniano um I, I think is how you pronounce his name i think um, so we talked about how we found matt and i both found like a 10 minutes behind the scenes making of documentary on hbo and you know it's just like all these actors talking about how much they love jurassic park and how much they love being on the set and I found one for The Martian because it's also on HBO right now. Um, today's date is like June 21st or something, 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also 10 minutes, but about seven minutes of it was just clips from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just different scenes. And then every once in a while it would be like an actor talking. And basically what they talked about boiled down to two things. One, working with Ridley Scott is awesome. Two... <laughs> Matt Damon is the best (laughs) and he's the only guy in the world who could play this role. Like that's it. And the only times they interview Matt Damon, he's talking about how great Ridley Scott is. (laughs) And I think Ridley Scott's like, we're having a great time. It's great. (laughs) They don't talk about like the physics, about working with NASA, about like really any of the set design. They just talk about how awesome the sets are. Of course, yeah. This is amazing. This is great. Look yeah, at this. It's just an advertisement. Like everything about a big budget Hollywood production these days is an advertisement. It I, is. I think that's going to become my conspiracy theories theme that I hope to develop, you know, one snob <laughs> at a time. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I hope to see some kind of descent into dark places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It it is, and this one I, I, this one had far fewer product placements than Jurassic World. Which well, was... at least obvious ones like you mm-hmm. know banal products, but the whole the whole movie is like an advertisement for NASA. It was exactly, <laughs> and in some ways, I I kind of that yeah that's that's essentially what it felt like. Like okay, so I'm I'm not all up to date on what's going on with NASA, but I know that over the past few years it's sort of been more difficult for them to get funding and they want to go to mars and so what happens they're like ridley scott help us out and <laughs> yeah. he's like i got it don't worry i'd make gladiator and, and then he, he was like all right i'll call russell crowe and they're like no 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 we need matt damon yeah exactly <laughs> russell crowe he's a bit of a bad boy he's a matt little damon. old yeah he's a little old little grizzled um but let's get matt damon and speaking back to that uh the 10 minute documentary you mentioned, Sean, the, only Matt Damon could play this role. In my mind, he was the worst idea for the role because, in, and this is nothing to say against Matt Damon's acting or anything about him as a person. It's just that when I see Matt Damon on a movie, I don't see the character. I see Matt Damon. Exactly. And so I was never able to think even for a split second, gosh, this guy is stuck in space. All I could think is, I'm staring at Matt Damon's face. Right. Now, if if you exist, listener, you might think that we just hate movies, but that's not actually true. In fact, um, there's a, a movie that came out in, I think, 2009, uh, directed by Duncan Jones, who is actually the son of David Bowie. And this movie 
did not get nearly as many viewers or nearly as much money as The Martian, but it is about a guy basically in isolation on the moon. And the movie's called Moon, and the guy is played by Sam Rockwell. And Sam Rockwell is not like a, I mean, he's, I think he might have been up for an Academy Award or at least like a Golden Globe, but he's not like a Matt Damon type of actor. Like lots of people wouldn't know who he is, but they'd probably recognize him. And he is so good in Moon and like, I'm like, I'm emotionally involved in that movie. I'm wondering what's going on. It's, it gets into the central theme of someone being isolated on a planet, and that is isolation. Matt Damon <laughs> never seems to struggle with the fact that he's been alone for like four years. He's literally just recording himself. Like he eventually can basically like text message NASA. Um, but there's no way that that is going to cure like the loneliness of the human soul without like any interaction. But he never once like, I don't know, sees something even in gravity, which isn't like that great of a movie, but it's better than the Martian. Sandra Bullock, like has a hallucination of George Clooney because she's terrified. And like, I feel terrified with her. I'm never scared for Matt Damon. So Sea Moon, it is way better than the Martian could ever hope to be. And Sam Rockwell is great. Matt Damon is Matt Damon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And there's no getting around that. That's a good plug. Um, Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think when prisoners are in solitary confinement, they go insane pretty quickly. (laughs) And not only did Matt Damon... Pretty quickly. (laughs) Not only did he never go insane, he never even slightly lost his composure. He always had a clear head. Except for that one part where he starts punching the ceiling, screaming, God. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But then he's just mad. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's just mad. And I like, oh, what man, what a directorial technique by Ridley Scott. Like, pan the camera outside of the rover so it's just silent (laughs) we're supposed to feel like he's stuck or something yeah very subtle music that is clearly saying all right feel sad and feel like the optimism is gone at Mm -hmm. this moment and there's, there's like two or three moments when ridley scott tries to make you feel like there's no hope that's one of them after like all his plants get destroyed because of a malfunction the second one is when they're gonna send they're sending that probe out to him to deliver supplies and it blows up at the launch because Jeff Daniels decided not to do safety precautions because for some reason it was a huge rush, even though Matt Damon could survive by himself for like another year and a half or two <laughs> You're years. so right. I mean, I think he could have spent 13 days to take those safety precautions. And immediately after those scenes, like the first one, Matt Damon just starts gardening again, makes new plants. The second one, all of a sudden China's involved and they have like this secret probe that they can just send out. Yeah, and they, and they could have kept it secret, but because this movie wants to really make the world seem like a cohesive unit, the, the <laughs> Chinese directors are like, we must help the scientific community. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, the, uh, that's the final thing that they were talking about in the making of documentary. They kept saying, you know, it's about people coming together to to help someone and to like coming together for a common cause. <laughs> like... Oh, we get it. Thank you for shoving that down our throats. <laughs> no, with the, uh, those scenes, those rare scenes when you are supposed to feel like there's some kind of loss of hope. Really, you can only do that if you're initially ever hoping for someone. And second, it's like immediately after those scenes, they go into these hopeful montages. I think it's probably after one of those that Matt Damon's just like, well, cue David Bowie. And then they st- <laughs> Or ABBA. Yeah, or ABBA. Oh, don't even get me started on this weird subplot where um, Captain, whoever, Jessica Chastain's character, loves disco and only has disco on her computer. That is 
th that's ridiculous. I, I'm sorry. If anything about this movie is unrealistic to me, it's that. Because someone is bound to have one non-disco song and then turn the beat around that song matt damon in his quippy ever optimistic stuck on a planet by himself several million <laughs> miles from earth is like no i will not i will not turn the beat around <laughs> thank you for that do you remember that i do i do he just like made a joke to himself if we can take like a bird's eye view from matt damon's situation like i guess the movie never actually develops like the plot of insanity, but like from a bird's eye perspective, he's clearly acting like an insane man. <laughs> hey, <you're laughs> and he's right. by himself for four years, like jovially chatting to basically a microphone <laughs> and watching himself and like talking about, you know, how how good things are, like how <laughs> things are gonna get better. Yeah. Just going about these seemingly mundane activities. Um, so there's a, Maybe there is insanity at a very deep and unintentional level. <laughs> because I don't know if it's clear what's supposed to happen with those video recordings. Are those being sent via satellite to NASA? Clearly not, because that's not how they found out he was alive. No, it's just mission log. So I guess at some point he just thinks like, well, if I ever get out of this, like this will be good things to show people. Yeah, and he's telling us his internal thoughts, again, for the sake solely of exposition to the audience. Exactly. By the way, uh, listener, if you do still exist first of all uh, we love you very dearly <laughs> thank you um, we are literally trying to send love to you through this podcast um, but I feel like I wanted to mention something earlier but we got so caught up we don't we don't want to be so snobbish that we assume you know Ridley Scott's filmography and like all the movies he's done but he's done a lot of really well-known movies and um, so Quickly, there's Blade Runner, there's Gladiator, there's Prometheus, there's Alien, there's Aliens, there's an upcoming Alien film, there's... Um... Robin Hood from 2010. <laughs> <laughs> there's Matchstick Men um, with with Nicolas Cage. A couple Russell Crowe movies that no one saw in the 2000s after Gladiator, like Body of Lies and yeah. uh, Proof of Life. And Proof of life, that's right. Kingdom of Heaven with Orlando Bloom. You're right. And even G.I. Jane, I think. I'm pretty did sure he, he did G.I. Oh, Jane. Okay, that, that seems right. So quite a quite a strange collection of films. Mm -hmm. Where does The Martian fit into this filmography? That's a good question because it's like a lot of his films are they're kind of action, but they're not like your typical Hollywood blockbuster things blowing up. Right. action a lot of times sometimes there's a little bit of that um all of his movies seem to have sort of a dark kind of a like a a certain darkness to them and i don't mean that in, like in a metaphorical emotional way i mean that in like a camera filter way. A... <laughs> starting with blade runner that's right yeah <laughs> exactly and there's sort of this these scenes where it's like extreme sunlight coming through and dark shadows at the same yeah, time like gladiator and I'm i think thinking. yeah gladiator like proof of life i think you get some of that so yeah. yeah um so i was kind of thinking about this filmography and i think i was able to narrow down ridley scott's interest to a couple categories um sci-fi with obviously the martian with prometheus with the alien stuff he's definitely interested in science fiction you're right he is interested in crime um he has these random like crime movies like matchstick men with Nicolas Cage, which is like a heist type of movie. Uh, um, Proof of Life is a crime kidnapping movie. Okay, Proof of Life. He is interested in mythology with Gladiator mm -hmm. um, and Prometheus and Kingdom of Heaven. Even though 
he kind of has proven that he doesn't understand a difference between mythology and history. Like, <laughs> I think he thinks they're the same. Uh, but like, like Gladiator is still marketed as a historical drama. But like, yes. it's not historical. It takes place in a historical place called the Colosseum that everyone knows about. But like, it, I don't think there's any historical accuracy to that entire movie. You're right. You just must have seen a picture of the Colosseum. It was like, I want a drama there. <laughs> So mythology, he's interested in strong female protagonists, like actual strong female protagonists, not like the Jurassic World version, like G.I. Jane and Alien, even with Sigourney Weaver and Mm -hmm. then Prometheus with um, the actress that you mentioned. I don't know her name. Numi Rapace. Yeah, yeah. So he's, I think, really one of the best at like actually casting like a legitimately like strong female character. And he's interested in Russell Crowe. So basically, <laughs> yes, like, those are the categories of Ridley Scott's canon, and sometimes he combines a few of those, and sometimes it, like, kind of works, but oftentimes it just doesn't work, and The Martian is a case where it does not work at all. Yeah, that was uh, very well said. You're right. He did, he has, like, a, a little kind of web, like a web chart or, like, <laughs> like a pie graph, and he's just, like, combining them, like, strong female Um which has a little bit of in this and some of the female characters who are on the, the space mission. Yeah, Jessica Chastain, I think, is probably the best part of this movie. She's like probably. the only character who like feels like a person. And that might just be because she's a really good actress. Yeah, that's right. Like, okay, you can see some kind of conflicted motion, emotions yeah. in her. And, <laughs> and it's, it's not forced. Like, on the opposite side of that, um, sort of from the Matt Damon character side, is his relationship with... Martinez, which is probably my, (laughs) I think that has to be my favorite relationship in the movie. And the beauty of it is we see it um, almost right away. You know, at the very beginning there, Matt Damon's doing his botany thing, collecting rock samples and all these characters are doing their own thing. And they're kind of talking over each other's, (laughs) over like the walkie talkie system. And Matt Damon says something about like blah 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 whatever Martinez and it's like ooh they these two have a history they <laughs> they sort of rib each other every once in a while yeah so Martinez is I'm not exactly sure what his job is he is like he needs to like maintain the status of the vehicles or something yeah like, more in the some kind of a pilot side. or something yeah 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 he's like really good with computers but yeah he and Watney are clearly doing pretty different things but like I think a hundred percent of their interactions are just like you know, jabs between one another that's supposed to make us think like, oh, these guys are good buds. Like, they have a good relationship. (laughs) And you said, like, literally the first conversation of the movie, I think, is between them and it ends with like, like, hey, everyone. I think Martinez is like, hey, everyone, what? And he found some dirt. Let's alert the authorities. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when when I watched this a second time, I realized that for about two minutes, The Martian is my favorite movie ever because... The scenes are just the, the scenery is so magnificent and beautiful and looks so good in HD for two minutes as the camera's sweeping over it. And then all of a sudden we have the sound of Matt Damon and Martinez like jabbing each other and it immediately becomes one of my least favorite movies. Yeah, it was it was after that first jab when I was watching it in the theaters that I thought, OK, so this movie just took a really big knock. <laughs> 
this. I, I really came into this movie hoping it was good and wanting to like it because everything about the trailers told me I would hate it. And <laughs> right, but everyone and, kept saying how awesome it was going to be. Everyone, everyone, yeah, everyone was just like, they're like, this movie is really great. And they even said it with a way like, I know that you might think this movie's dumb and cliche, but it really is good. And then you watch it and then there's that Martinez jab. And I was like, it took, it took about all my energy to really continue after that to really try and give it a fair play, um, just because it was uh, it was just it was just too cliche, and and then even later in the movie, when there is a scene when Matt Damon is kind of showing some kind of emotion, when he's about to be launched up to re meet with the crew, and he's nervous. He even says, "I'm a little nervous," and. Jessica Chastain, who's at the commander of the mission, says something like, don't worry, Martinez is going to be piloting you. And Matt Damon's like, oh, great. You got me in that asshole's hands. <laughs> and like, he's like nervous, but we're supposed to get a nice little laugh out of the fact that despite everything he's been through, he and Martinez still have their bro locker room rapport. Right, right. Even like the, when Martinez like sends him a message right after you know a long, long time of not communicating, it's like, Oh, what does it say? It's something like, we're, we're glad that you, or we left you because you're an asshole or something. And then like, he kind of like tears up as he chuckles. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so we as the audience are clearly supposed to feel like, oh man, these, these bros, they're yeah. long lost. And finally they get to pick up their witty banter right where they left off. And it seems that at this point, dear listener, This episode of General Snobbery must leave off. Join us soon for part two of our conversation about The Martian, an unexpected conversation that meanders far beyond Ridley Scott, Russell Crowe, and even Matt Damon. For more information, feedback, or the most direct means to express your distaste for our snobs, please visit us at generalsnobbery.com. There's a feeling my life's been shaken out of control. Matt Damon. It's arising from the depths of meaning I never know. There's a feeling that shines in the front of my mind. I'm gonna speak it out at the fireside. And in the morning, we'll all be snobbing the whole way home. Yeah.